Many of you know that we've had a, a message series going over the last few weeks called All Things New. We started the series talking about the need, the necessity for us to believe what God says and agree with it. Not just believe what He says for salvation, which is very important, but to agree with what God says in His Word, what God says to us, what the Holy Spirit says to us, and that's the way we experience life in all of its fullness. Jesus said that's why He came. That's one of the reasons He came, was to give us life, but not just life, but life in all of its fullness. And for us to experience that, we have to believe and agree with what God says and then live that way, right? And then the next week, we talked about belonging, the need that God wants us to belong to Him, to be adopted by Him, to be His sons and His daughters. Last week, many of you were here and listened to Nasser share his story. He shared the entire time last week. If you weren't here last week and, and here to hear Nasser, I can't pronounce his last name, uh, El Hamad. Uh, that's pretty close, right? Uh, grew up in uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, was, a, was a, essentially a, a radicalized Muslim, but came to faith in Christ. His, his story, his, his faith journey, testimony is on, uh, online on our website. I encourage you, if you haven't heard that, uh, go online and listen to his testimony. Very powerful uh, last week as we talked about becoming what God wants us to become. This week we're talking about God building his kingdom in us, and through us. And this morning, we have a very special treat as well. John Smith is here to share his testimony, his story of faith. Uh, and, and so, uh, without sharing your story or going any longer, would you please welcome John Smith. I'm so, I'm so excited that you are here. Me too, man. Glad to be right. here. It is awesome to be here. My name is John Smith. Uh, I'm with a little missionary organization called Disciple Nations. And I'm glad to be here with my brothers and sisters in the kingdom on Resurrection Sunday. What a powerful thing resurrection is and what it means for you and I. And I, and I shared this earlier, but I really love when Jesus told his disciples, because I live, you will also live. And he says that to each one of us. And not just live, but that life that's abundant, that John 10 life that he has promised us. So the Bible also tells us, that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimonies. And everybody in here, I imagine most of you, have a testimony of how you came to know Jesus. And there's power in that testimony. It's because that's how you overcame the adversity and believed in Jesus for your salvation. I have a pretty crazy testimony, pretty radical. And I'm praying that as I share it, that you guys are encouraged and that your faith is stirred to begin to believe God in a new way because nothing is impossible with God. I have learned through my little short journey, my seven years of believing, that God can do things that we can't even imagine. He wants to do exceedingly and abundantly above all we think or ask. We serve a God who does miracles. Our God is a miracle-working God today, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't take any days off, and he can resurrect what is dead. He can resurrect relationships. He can resurrect marriages. He can resurrect a broken friendship. I mean, God can resurrect. That's what he does. That's his business. And so I would love to share my story and hope that it encourages you to believe God and just, just to stir that faith in your life. So I was born here in Wichita, Kansas, lived here since I was a youth, and I grew up in South City, that's uh, I-35 and Hydraulic, grew up in a lower middle class family. Um, from the earliest days I can remember, I was a troublemaker. I was always in trouble, always causing problems. I probably broke your windows. I probably shot your cat with my BB gun. I probably, and I apologize right now. I'm repenting for that and confessing it, so please forgive me. But I made a lot of mistakes. 
Um, I ended up uh, becoming a full-time marijuana drug user at age 13. While I was in middle school, I would get high before school, I would get high after school, and if I didn't have money to get high, I would steal from my family and my brothers and sisters and my neighbors and anybody that I could to get high because I was a self-medicator. I had a lot of things wrong in my life, and instead of facing my problems, I ran from them, and I ran to drug use because I didn't know how to cope with my emotions. So needless to say, that got me in a lot of trouble over time. I ended up, uh, age 15, locked up for a long stint in a juvenile, some juvenile facilities. I went from one facility to another facility to another. I ended up in the Judge Rydell Boys Ranch. It's where I finished my time at. Got out when I was uh, 16, moved in with my dad, whom I didn't grow up with because my mom and dad had split up when I was a kid, and I was longing for that relationship with my father. And uh, he had become successful. He was a computer programmer for Microsoft, and my stepmom was the chief nurse officer of a hospital in Arlington, Texas. So we moved down there with the hopes and dreams of trying to get my life together. The only problem with that was is my mother and father smoked marijuana as well. So I got from one environment to another environment and began the same old pattern of behavior, started self-medicating again, started getting high again. And then tragically, uh, about six months later in 2001, the day before Father's Day, my dad had a massive heart attack and died right in front of me. My dad was my best friend. He was my brother. He was, my, he was the only person that believed in me. And I lost him, and it really sent me into a tailspin. I came back to Kansas and I had some plans to kind of do some things with my life, but uh, the call of the streets was too heavy for me. I went back to doing what I knew best, which was self-medicating. Next thing I knew, by the time I was 18, I was using co cocaine and methamphetamine full-time. 19, I'm using methamphetamine. I'm cooking methamphetamine. I'm selling methamphetamine. I'm shooting methamphetamine in my arms. I'm stealing cars. And by I was 19, I got in two car chases. The first chase I got into, uh, I got high-centered, and the cops broke the window out and snatched me out of the truck. It was a stolen truck. Uh, the second one shortly after that was in outside of Leon, Kansas. I was in a stolen car and crashed into a gas meter at 60 miles an hour and walked away unharmed, which is a miracle in and of itself because I should be dead, but I didn't know then, but God had a plan for my life, and he had something he wanted to use me for, and I didn't know. I didn't trust him. I didn't believe him. I'd been running. And so, needless to say, I had a lot of criminal history and a lot of problems. So I found myself on Community Corrections, which is basically one step before you go to prison. Community Corrections is uh, the next step before they lock you up. They gave me one last chance. The problem with that is, is I couldn't stay clean, and I couldn't come to my uh, parole meetings because I was high all the time, and I was still living the lifestyle, selling drugs, being a criminal. I didn't know any other way at that time, and I had no guidance and no leadership in my life. So they put a warrant out for my arrest uh, in 2005, and they were going to send me to prison. It was only going to be three months. When I looked back back then, it was an eternity to me, and I ran from it. So I found myself in southeast Kansas in 2007. I went on the run, and I went to a small town called Parsons. I had a couple uncles there who uh, grew marijuana and was in the drug game, and I figured I could lay low, continue doing what I wanted to do, running from everything, self-medicating. And I went there, ended up making some connections, was trafficking drugs back from Wichita to, to southeast Kansas, ended up hooking up with a guy that owns uh, 60 acres of land. And I would go out there and I would cook methamphetamine, then I would go back out in the community and sell it. And I did that for a couple years. And I had a friend from Wichita that knew me and knew the other guy, then I never brought anybody to his land. But one day, I convinced my friend that owned the land to let me bring somebody with me. I brought my friend with me. Uh, we did our cook. We all got high. And uh, afterwards, some things happened, and my friend that I brought tried to take advantage of the woman that was there, and I ended up taking his life from him. So after that, <clears throat> my biker buddy who owned the land said, we have to get rid of the body. So we buried him. And he said, never talk about it again. So I didn't talk about it again. 
And a couple months down the road, he had told another guy, I went back to doing what I was doing, which was self-medicating, forgetting my you know, pain and my hurts and everything that was going on and running from God. And in the midst of that, uh, he had told another person that he had buried somebody on his property. That guy got caught with a meth lab and uh, told the police, if you let me go, I know where there's a meth lab and a dead body. So they raided my partner's 60 acres. They found the meth lab. They brought cadaver dogs in. They found the body. Immediately, uh, my, my buddy pointed the finger at me. It was all me. And so they issued a warrant for my arrest at age 23 for first-degree murder in 2009. So in 2009, I was facing life without the possibility of parole. I had the U.S. Marshals looking for me. I couldn't run anymore. You can't run from the U.S. Marshals. So I turned myself in on June 1st, 2009. I went into the county jail in Labette County. And I wouldn't cooperate with the authorities. And they charged me with first-degree felony murder. And there was no getting out of it. There was no reset button. This was the real deal. This was happening to me. Two days later, they moved me to the city, to the county jail. I found myself in the county jail, and I decided, you know, I'm hopeless. I'm lost. I'm broken. I have no future. My life is over. There's nothing left for me. So I tied a sheet around my neck, and I tried to hang myself in this jail cell. And I'm so grateful that they make these cells almost virtually impossible to kill yourself in, or I'd be dead right now. But the Lord had another plan, and he put me right where he needed it, right where he wanted me when he needed me there. And in this cell, there was a TV, a 13-inch TV in the corner, and it was sitting lopsided, and something was drawing me to it. And I didn't know then what it was, but I know now it was the Holy Spirit. And so they, they get up, they pass around food trays, I get up from my bunk, and I look to see what's under this TV, and I find this free on the inside prison Bible. I don't know if you've ever seen one. It's got a picture of a guy, and he's breaking the chains off his arms. And I sat down on my bunk, and I began to read the beginning. Not Genesis, but the beginning where it talks about Jeremiah 29, 11. You know, God has a plan for you. Romans 8, 28, all things work to good for those who love God. Those are some of the first scriptures I ever heard. And it talked about God could redeem you. He could renew you. He could restore you. He could give you life. He could, take, he could give you back what the enemy had taken and what the enemy meant for bad. He could use for good. And the next thing I knew, I found myself on my knees. I had snot coming out of my nose. I had tears coming out of my eyes. And I told God, you can have my life. I give you my life. Please give me another chance to be a husband and a father. And from that day, that Philippians 4 peace that surpasses all understanding came into that jail cell. That burden was lifted off my shoulders. It said his burden is easy and his yoke is light. It was lifted, and he began to come into my life, gave me peace in the midst of adversity. I didn't know what was going to happen to me, but I knew that I knew that I knew that Jesus loved me, that he'd forgiven me, and that he was going to use me, whether it was in prison or he was going to let me out. I didn't have any idea. I didn't even care then. All I knew was I was saturated in his presence and something was happening. And I like to tell people all the time, God's not interested in behavior modification. He wants a heart transformation. And he came into my heart and began changing me from the inside out, changing my desires. That Romans 12, 2, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word transformed in the Greek is metamorpho. That's where we get the word metamorphosis. It's talking about the transition from a caterpillar in a cocoon to a butterfly. That jail cell was my cocoon. Prison was my cocoon where God redeemed me, restored me, renewed me, put his spirit within me, gave me a new heart, and he began to operate and move and live inside of me. So, Needless to say, to cut the story way even shorter, I ended up getting a plea deal for voluntary manslaughter, and it was seven years, and I jumped on that plea deal, and I went to prison in 2009. I got to Wichita work release in 2014. I got released from prison September 18th of last year. Now, the Lord has done a miracle work in my life. He's resurrected me from the dead. He's resurrected my marriage. My wife was wonderful enough to stay with me through everything. He's put me in the community. I'm making disciples. I'm sharing the gospel. I'm praying. I'm trusting God. I'm all in for the kingdom all in. Thank you. I'm all in for the kingdom, 
All my eggs are in one basket. There is no plan B for me. Jesus is the only hope we have. Do not place your hope in man. Do not place your hope in anything but Jesus. He is the only one that can take what's dead and resurrect it back to life. And I'm wondering if there's anybody in here today that's forgotten that. And I hope that you could trust and believe God to redeem that marriage, to restore that relationship. If you have a son or a daughter, a brother and a sister that's addicted, that's lost, that's dead, God can resurrect them. Just trust and believe. Keep praying. Keep seeking. God promises. He promises if we ask, we'll get. If we seek, we'll find. If we knock, it'll be open. It's his word. He can't lie. His word will never return void. So I encourage you this morning to keep trusting in a God who can do the impossible. He delights in doing the impossible. He delights to get the glory out of the situation. He doesn't want to do what we can do. He wants to do above that. And his ways are so much higher than ours. So I'm just so grateful that I'm a trophy of God's grace and that I can just be an example of how God can redeem the worst of the worst that first corinthians chapter one he uses the weak things of the world to bring to nothing the things that are that are he uses the weak to lead the strong and i always tell people god doesn't call the qualified he qualifies the called so i'm just grateful for the opportunity dennis i thank you for letting me share my testimony because i get no greater satisfaction and joy than in the presence of god's people being able to proclaim his goodness because that romans 2 4 it is the goodness of god that leads us to repentance i believe that wholeheartedly so i thank you this morning I look forward to what dennis has to say amen Thank you very much. The word says that we'll be baptized with the Spirit and with fire. That boy's got some fire. Um, if you were here a few weeks ago when Manuel shared his testimony, when Manuel and, and, uh, and also Heidi Perez about the way God has put their, you know, their paths have crossed and Heidi and her family, Heidi and Jason and their family have ministered to Manuel and, and this church has ministered to Manuel in a very powerful, significant way on the outside as, uh, of prison as he was walking through his journey of faith. On the inside... God had John and Manuel as bunkmates, and John was ministering to him and discipling him and preaching the word to him. On the, Manuel couldn't go anywhere without hearing the word of God, and now has become a follower of Jesus. We baptized him. You were here for his baptism uh, a few months ago. So God is at work changing lives, transforming lives in, in awesome, wonderful, beautiful ways. If you have your Bible, I hope you do, uh, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. We'll start there. There are, and grab your handout. There's an outline that you can follow along. If you don't have your Bibles, don't worry about it. We'll put the, the scripture on the screen so you can follow along that way. But let me, let me share with you a few things that Jesus came to do that relates to him and his kingdom and to us. This is really important for each one of us. I've been praying this week, as we all have, I'm sure, about the time we'll have together this morning, that God would speak to us His truth and He would change lives. That there would be some of us, as we had in 9 o'clock, that would step from the kingdom of the world into the kingdom of God. That would step from being their own Lord to receiving Jesus as Lord. That would step from trying to save themselves to experiencing salvation in Christ Jesus. And that's what God wants us to do. It's what he has done. That's why he's done what he's done for us. So we could experience that now and forever. And here's what Jesus came to do. He came to, to bring his kingdom. 
Again, we've, we've prayed this prayer, haven't we? We've prayed. In fact, some of you learned to pray this prayer as a, as a little kid in church. You learned to pray the prayer. Uh, remember the, the prayer? Want to, say, want to say it with me? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. Here on earth as it is in heaven, right? Jesus came to bring his kingdom here to earth. He came to be the answer to his own prayer. And he wants that to continue. And it continues as it enters into our lives. We, 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 uh, we read a verse of Scripture almost every Christmas time in Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah 9, 6. This isn't just for Christmas. This is for every day. It says, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us. God gave us his son. And that's the way the kingdom of God got ushered into and onto earth and into our lives. He goes on to say, and the government will rest on his shoulders. The government it's talking about here is the government of God, the kingdom of God. He is the king of kings. He's the king of the kingdom of God. He is Lord of lords. And the government, God's government, the government, as this passage goes on to say, with which there will be no end. The only government to ever exist that will never come to an end is the kingdom of God. You agree with that so far? You believe that? He goes on to describe who he is. He's a wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father, prince of peace. Now, God's kingdom, as we've already said, is very opposite from the kingdom of the world. I was thinking this week about uh, early on as we first started the church, there was a man, uh, his name was Joe, and he, was, he and his wife came to Eastside. We were meeting in a school at the time, and he came, they came to Eastside on Palm Sunday. So it was this time of year. And on Palm Sunday, Joe stepped from the kingdom of the world into the kingdom of God. Now, he'd been all about the kingdom of the world. And here's the way the kingdom works. Joe, Joe had this down. He was really good at it. The way the kingdom of the world works is you, you work hard and you gather as much stuff as you can and you control it and then you use it for your own comfort and your own you know, blessing, your own pleasure, your own power. You have a position when you have that kind of thing going on in the kingdom of the world, right? Joe was really good at that. And, you know, he'd been a successful business guy. I, uh, he, was, he was in his uh, mid-50s. I was in my early 30s. I thought, man, this guy, he's been around a long time. And now I realize he was really quite young. <clears throat> Just getting started. But he'd been good at accumulating resources. And that Sunday, Palm Sunday, he stepped from the kingdom of the world into the kingdom of God. And it's a long story. I don't have time to tell you all the details. But he and I met a couple of weeks later, and I'm beginning to help him take the next steps of growing and becoming mature and knowing what it means to be a devoted follower of Jesus. And he began asking questions. So how is God going to expand? He wasn't using this language, but the question he was really asking was, how is God going to expand the kingdom here? How is he going to use this church? What does he want us to do to, to expand his kingdom? And I began to tell him, sort of cast vision. 
of what I believe God wanted to have happen here. I began to talk about a biblical community where people gather together and worship and they love one another. And no matter where they're from, they, they accept one another and they embrace and adopt one another and they help one another know God and they help one another become devoted followers of Jesus. And someday we'll be a, there'll be a land and there'll be a building. And, so, and he, he began to dream with me. And again, long story, long story, very, very short, he began to take some of the resources that he'd amassed in the kingdom of the world and invest them in the kingdom of God. And from that investment, from one guy, uh, he donated a piece of property that he didn't know really what it would be worth. We sold it for $200,000. It shocked him. More resources came in. We bought land at 21st and Greenwich Road for $280,000. From this one investment in the kingdom. And then about seven years later, we took that piece of property and sold it for almost $5 million. The same piece of property we'd purchased for $280,000, and we bought this piece of property and built this building. And Joe was like, wow! <laughs> I didn't know, I mean, if, I, if I'd known God was going to multiply resources like that, I'd have been in the kingdom a long time ago. He began to watch the development of the church, and he got sick with sugar diabetes and ended up in a nursing home. And as he watched the building get built, I'd take pictures and show them, or occasionally when he felt like it, I'd bring him over and show him the construction site. We moved into this building in April of 06, uh, nearly 10 years ago, almost exactly 10 years ago. And three months after we moved into the building, I got a call from his wife one evening and saying that Joe was in the hospital and not doing well. So I went to the hospital room where he was and all of his kids and all of his family gathered in the hospital room there. And I walked up to the side of his bed and I, I took his hand and I said, hey, Joe, it's Dennis. And he opened his eyes for the first time all day. His family had not seen him, not been able to talk to him. He hadn't responded to anyone. And they all went, oh, he's awake. And they all gathered around the bed as close as they could. And I said, Joe, docs say that God doesn't intervene. This is going to be your, your last day or so here. I said, are you ready? Are you, are you, you need some assurance about that? You know, we've had, we had lots of conversations. We know you know Jesus, and we know the decisions that you've made, and, that, and he just shook his head, and so we prayed together. I said, so you have the assurance that you need? You're confident? You know? You're in a shadow of a doubt where you're going, and he shook his head. And I left, and before I got home, his wife called me on the phone and said, Joe just went to be with Jesus. Joe's funeral was the very first funeral we had in this building after we opened the doors. And I share that story because it's amazing, isn't it, what God does with a life that steps from the kingdom of the world into the kingdom of God. It's amazing the way God impacted his whole family and everybody who had ever known him. And how many people God has, 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 how many lives God has touched through that one life who stepped from the kingdom of the world into the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus came to bring his kingdom here so we could be in it now and forever. The kingdom of God is real, it's tangible, it's in us, it's around us. God is here. 
We get to experience. You realize every freedom, every bit of love you have ever experienced is because of the reality of the kingdom of God. Every freedom. It's amazing what happens when the kingdom of God expands. Jesus, secondly, came to be his kingdom. Jesus was constantly doing show and tell. Jesus wasn't a philosopher. He wasn't a, he wasn't a, a didactic teacher. He was one of these that, that shows us and tells us by what he shows us, what he demonstrates to us, what his kingdom is like. He would do miracles. He would, he would take five loaves of bread and a few fish and feed 5,000 men and their wives and their children. And he'd say, that's what the kingdom of God is like. He would bring a little child and set him on his knee, and he would say, don't hinder the children from coming to me because this, their hearts, that's what the kingdom of God is like. That's the way your heart needs to be, pure and ready to receive the truth rather than doubt or stand away and push God, keep God at arm's length. That's what adults do, right? We learn how to do that, don't we? We learn how to stiff-arm God. And sometimes we even stiff-arm God's people. Kids don't. Jesus did show and tell. He was constantly helping us see what the kingdom of God is like, and then he would tell us what it's like in a parable or from God's word. He would apply God's word to the kingdom, and truth would explode in everyone's mind, and they would understand what the Father is like, what the kingdom is like. Now, a lot of people ask questions, yeah, but if Jesus was the king, why did he have to die? I mean, what kind of a kingdom is that? What kind of king is that? That was the problem with the, the Nasser talked about last week with the, the Muslims. I mean, they can't believe that Jesus is king or Jesus is God or Jesus is even a prophet. If he died, they can't believe that he would be killed. So how does that work and why is that so? What purpose is that? It just doesn't fit with our human logic, does it? What kind of king sacrifices himself for his own people? There's a big word in Scripture. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter 2. We'll get there in a minute. A big word in that passage of Scripture, the, the word is propitiation. Propitiation is, here, here's a definition for you. It's a look at sin from God's perspective. Because only God can see sin and understand the significance of it. You know, we have, a down, we have a tendency to downplay our sin, don't we? We, we call them mistakes. <laughs> we call, well, I missed the mark. God doesn't see it that way. And when we, when, when, when we understand sin from God's perspective, we begin to understand it differently. We begin to understand the significance of the purpose for the death and the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. He's the only one who could pay that price. Let's read in Scripture. John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. He himself, meaning Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Isn't that awesome news? is isn't just for the Jews. is isn't just for a few chosen people. It's for the whole world. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, he says it again. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. See, propitiation means that God's wrath regarding sin has been turned away and his justice has been satisfied. 
That's something that you or I can't do. We have all committed crimes against God and against men. We can't turn away God's wrath. We can't satisfy God's justice. Why? Because no matter how hard we try, we still have the crime. See, John paid man's price. In the system of man, he paid for his crime. But that doesn't erase the crime. We can do everything we can do. We can work hard to pay as much as we can pay, but it isn't going to erase the crime against God and against man. That's why only Jesus, only Jesus was the one who climbed on a cross willingly, allowed himself to be crucified so that the wrath of God would be poured on him and judgment would be satisfied. He was the only one who could do that. It's the only way it was going to happen. It's going to be possible for us to be in the kingdom of God is if the king himself opens the door and makes it possible. We are all guilty. We all deserve judgment and punishment. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, He made him, meaning Jesus, who knew no sin, he was the only perfect one, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's why that snow was so beautiful this morning. That snow covering everything, covering over all the filth, pure and white, spotless, holy, that's what Jesus has done for us. When God looks at us, that's what he sees. When we, have, when we have received Jesus, when we have accepted his price, the price that he's paid, and when we enter into relationship with him, when God sees us, that's what he sees. He sees righteousness. That's the only way it works. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, it says, For they themselves report about us, what kind of reception we had with you and how you turned from God or to God from idols. That's what Joe did. The, the, on Palm Sunday that day, several years ago, Joe went from the kingdom of the world, idols, to the kingdom of God, Jesus alone. To serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. We not only have hope, we have freedom from any kind of wrath or any kind of punishment or any kind of judgment. Our, our slate has been wiped clean. Jesus came to bring the kingdom, he came to be the kingdom, and he came to build his kingdom. He is building his kingdom and expanding his kingdom in and through us as we enter into relationship with him. See, Jesus was raised from the dead. That's what we're celebrating on Easter Sunday morning, on Resurrection Day. He was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit. And because he was raised, we too can be raised with him, the Bible says. These aren't my words. These are the words of God. We get to be raised with him to new life. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 says, For I delivered to you, this is Paul talking, I delivered to you as the first importance what I also 
received that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And friends, we will be raised with him. Amen? You agree with that, right? Well, we're all on the same page. Jesus told his closest friends just a few hours before he was crucified that he was going to prepare a place for us. In John chapter 14, verse 2, it says, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may also be. Acts chapter 5, verse 30, says, The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death, by hanging him on the cross. You see, because Jesus was raised, the Bible says, we will also be raised with him. So, he, so it's great news. It's, just, it's, it's nothing but good news. Jesus came to establish his kingdom, for his kingdom live in us, and to us then to live with him. So he came to be with us, and he is. He's with us now through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And we will be with him forever. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Now God not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through his power. 1 Corinthians 15, 52. In a moment, in, a twinkle, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, this is when Jesus returns, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. We will be like him, to be with him forever. Yeah, it just makes me want to shout. I don't know if somebody wants to do that. 2 Corinthians verse 4, chapter 4, verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14. Knowing that he who was raised, who raised the Lord Jesus, will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. You see, Jesus was raised from the dead. Therefore, I believe everything he said. And, and I, I would do that for you too. If you were raised from the dead, I would believe everything you say. Somebody is raised from the dead. I'm going to listen to everything they say, and I'm going to believe everything they say. Now, Jesus told us he's going to prepare a place for us so that we can be with him forever. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but the last time I checked, the death rate is still right up around 100%. So I'm going to die someday, and so are you. And Jesus tells us in his word that that means when I die, I will get to go and be with him. I want in on that. Anybody else want in on that? I want in on that. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, if you, listen carefully. Let's, let's actually, let's read this together. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, this is more than just an intellectual agreement. 
James tells us in his word, in his letter, that even demons believe and shudder. So this is not about just, yeah, I know God exists, I'm good. That's why he says very carefully, confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is my Lord. And I believe that. And I am placing all my belief in him, all my trust in him. I am saying to God, God, here is my life, and it's yours. That's what this passage is talking about here. I was thinking about this this week and remembering what God has done for us, that he, that he sent his own son to be born a baby. And it made me remember the day our son was born, our, first, our firstborn son. His name is Josh, Joshua. Same name as Jesus, really. It's the Hebrew name for Jesus. And I'll never forget, if you're a parent, you'll never forget that first time you saw your child, right? I'll never forget, I I was there, Josh was born by C-section, so Kathy wasn't able to be with him for a while, and I was just there in the nursery, and the nurse was cleaning him up, and I just, I was so, I was so overwhelmed and amazed. I was just, you know, I was looking at him and just marveling at how beautiful he was. And I remember I took his little hand in mine. It was just so tiny. And I thought, you know, that hand someday will probably be bigger than mine. And it is. He's 30. And he has his own son and two daughters now. I took his hand in mine and just... I just thought, God, I can't hardly believe that you could send your son and that one day they would drive nails, knowing they would drive nails through those little hands. I'm just, I'm just undone by that. I'm just, I'm just continuing to be amazed by what God has done for us that he would send his son to bring the kingdom, to be the kingdom for us and show us what the kingdom is like, to show us what God is like. And then to plant the kingdom in us so that we could be part of it, so that he would build his kingdom in us through the power of his word and the word of our testimony, just as we've heard this morning. Does that just undo you like it does me? So would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? And let me, let me ask all of you to be praying, but listening at the same time. Pray that God will do everything he wants to do and that we will all respond to God in every way that he wants us to respond in these next few minutes. Let's pray that prayer, please. Now let me ask you a question as you're praying and listening to me as well. As I prepared for this time this morning, 
I am convinced that God was saying to me, I want everyone to be sure. I want everyone in that room to be as sure that they know me and that they are going to be with me in heaven as Joe Brown was that night in his hospital bed. So if you're here this morning and you're not sure that if something happened to you today, you're not sure that you would be with God in heaven forever, would you raise your hand right now and just say, that's me. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm just going to be honest and say, I'm not sure. Just raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Would you say, I'm not sure. I, I want to be sure, but I'm not. That's just my honest answer. I'm not sure. Thank you. Thank you for being honest and raising your hands. Right now, I want to lead all of us, but especially those of you who raised your hands, or maybe those of you who wanted to raise your hands and didn't. I want to lead you in a prayer. And remember, this is your prayer. It's, it's not about my words. It's about what's going on in your heart, confessing that God is your Lord. Do you want to step into the kingdom today? Let's pray together. Father, You've seen every hand that was raised and you've seen the hearts of those who maybe didn't raise their hands. You know every heart in the room. You know every mind. You know us better than we know ourselves. You tell us. But especially I pray with those right now, with those who raised their hands, wanting the assurance, wanting to know that they're stepping today from the kingdom of the world into the kingdom of God. So this is our prayer, Father, that you would be our Lord. That we'll receive your grace, your forgiveness. That we'll receive your love. That we'll receive your invitation to be in relationship with you. That we'll receive your adoption to us as sons and daughters. That we'll receive whole whole and full, complete oneness with you and an entrance into the family of God. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross, because he's paid for our sin, because he said it is finished, and because you tell us you want us to be yours, to be your sons and your daughters. We need your forgiveness, God. We need you to wipe our slate completely clean because we can't do it on our own. And Lord, I thank you. We thank you together, all of us. Thank you for salvation. We thank you that you're here with us. We thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you knowing that you'll continue to work in our lives, setting us free, healing us, transforming us, making us more and more and more sons and daughters of the Most High God. Lead us, God, to be who you've created us to be. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Now, some of you prayed that prayer. So I, for one, want to be one to say, welcome to the family. Let's just welcome them into the family. Amen. <laughs>